The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Has called for an international peace conference to advance a two state solution for the Palestinians. Meanwhile, Israel continued its offensive in Gaza with Hamas claiming over the weekend that schools, hospitals, and homes were hit. Hamas themselves released a video of three Israeli hostages whose fate they said would be revealed today. But should Ireland get involved in the South African proceedings in the International Court of Justice in The Hague? Well, joining me now is Dr. David Keane, Assistant Professor of Law at DCU. Good morning, David. Good morning, Pat. Now, what is likely to emerge from this case taken by South Africa, I suppose, can be assessed based on other conflicts which have ended up before the International Court of Justice alleging genocide. How many have there been? There's been five genocide cases taken before the International Court of Justice previously, and they certainly provide us with, I think, a little bit of guidance as to what might emerge from this case, although you can never be certain as to what exactly a result might be. So the five that have gone previously were Bosnia against what was then the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, Kuwait against Serbia, Gambia against Myanmar, Ukraine against Russia, and South Africa versus Israel, which is the present case. Mm. So um, I think a, a parallel is definitely seen in the two cases that are currently before the court, um, the Gambia versus Myanmar case and the Ukraine versus Russia case, where provisional measures were also requested. And that is what is being requested by South Africa at present. So we're in an early stage of this case. Uh, what is being requested is provisional measures, emergency measures to be put in place, which are legally binding. And we can look to those earlier cases as to what the outcome might be, although we can't be certain in that regard. Now, when we look at the Gambia case uh, against mm-hmm. Myanmar about the Rohingya people, it was interesting that Gambia was not directly involved in the conflict at all. So it's open to third countries not involved in the conflict to make these charges. Yeah, it is. Um, and that's because of genocide the status in international law as what's known as the youth cogens obligation, uh, erga omnis partes, which means that any state can bring another before the International Court of Justice alleging violations of the Genocide Convention. And that's precisely what the Gambia did. There were some arguments on that uh, at what's known as the preliminary objection stage. Um, but the Gambia succeeded. The court allowed the case to go through. And that certainly, I think, paved the way, if you like, for, for other cases like this. Uh, certainly, I think uh, that South Africa's standing to bring the case has been more or less affirmed in the earlier Gambia uh, Gambia decision. Mm-hmm. Now, in the case of South Africa versus Israel, a number of countries mm-hmm. have rode in and said, yes, we support this. Have they any yeah. formal status in the International Court of Justice in regard to this? And could Ireland uh, join up also in the same regard? Sure. Um, well, I mean, there are, I think there's a distinction to be made between, I mean, there are a number of statements in support of South Africa and there have been statements in support of Israel, but... Legally, uh, what you're looking at is a formal intervention, a declaration of intervention, which is allowed under um, Article 63 of the Statute of the of the ICJ. Uh, we have Germany, uh, which only the uh, two days ago said that they would formally intervene. Um, it's unusual to intervene at this early stage, so I think the timing of that decision is is uh, a little bit, I think, early. Um, but anyway, that's what they did. Uh, We saw Namibia, for example, respond over the weekend, the uh, president of Namibia, uh, criticizing Germany for uh, the genocide that occurred in Namibia in 1904 to 1908, arguing Germany cannot express commitment to the Genocide Convention and atone to genocide in Namibia while supporting the equivalent of genocide in Gaza. So there's already been, but that's not a formal intervention by Namibia. So Germany has said 
it will intervene uh, what's known as a declaration of intervention. So in the past, in the Gambia case, we did have these uh, legal interventions. Um, there was a joint declara declaration of intervention by the UK, by France, Germany, Netherlands and Denmark together, as well as the Maldives. But I think more, uh, perhaps more recently, we had a sort of a mass intervention in the Ukraine versus Russia genocide case, also currently before the ICJ, where 33 countries intervened, uh, including Ireland. Uh, they were all Western countries. That was a sort of a, an example of a mass intervention. And because Ireland intervened in the Ukraine versus Russia case, the argument goes that we should consider intervening in the current case. But I think I would just point out, first of all, interventions before the International Court of Justice are not supposed to be just a sort of a statement of support. You're supposed to make legal arguments. The point of it is that you would give uh, a, con uh, a construction on terms of the convention. So it's not just support. It must relate to the construction of the convention. So you have to make some arguments uh, in relation to the Genocide Convention as to why you're intervening. You're not just supporting one side or the other. So it is, I think, a complex question. I think it's something that Ireland should not should consider, certainly. Uh, we didn't intervene in the Gambia case. We did intervene in the Ukraine case. If we are to intervene in the South Africa case, the question would be, what would we be saying in relation to the convention? What would we be highlighting? Um, and there are some examples, uh, for example, in the Gambia case, that joint intervention highlighted children, the killing of children, that relates particularly to the understanding of genocide. Mm -hmm. And we could look at, for example, the, the attacks in the healthcare system. For example, we've had Irish medics writing about that, the use of anesthet uh, operations with anaesthetics, amputations with anaesthetics. That's the kind of aspect, particular aspect, we could intervene on. So it's something to consider, but it is a legal process that should consider cons construction of the convention in that regard. Now, a final decision from the International Court of Justice in the case, for example, of Bosnia versus Yugoslavia or Croatia versus uh, Serbia can take years yeah. to reach. It can. So mm -hmm. what we are talking about, what South Africa is looking for is some kind of immediate relief for the Palestinians by some intervening measures. So it is an early stage. Uh, they are legally binding. So the court did decide that in an earlier case known as the Legrand decision. When the World Court issues a provisional measures order, it is legally binding. And so um, I don't think they can uh, be, be ignored, as it were. Uh, what South Africa is asking for is of, of, of huge significance. Uh, it is to suspend or limit military operations, allow access to UN fact-finding missions, preserve evidence, suppress genocidal statements. So these are all very significant requests. It is uh, generally enforcement can happen through the UN Security Council. Of course, when provisional measures are issued against Russia, Russia is a permanent member of the Security Council and could veto any enforcement action by the Security Council. Uh, Myanmar isn't a permanent member of the Security Council, but it has its supporters there, in particular China, which might also veto enforcement. But nevertheless, uh, Myanmar was required to report to the court on how it is implementing its binding provisional measures. It is doing that. Those reports are going to the court. Uh, South Africa has also requested that reports will go to the court um, from, uh, from Israel were provisional measures to be granted. So uh, that is an obligation that will be there. I think also to ignore binding provisional measures from the court is to place Israel in the same position as, as Russia, which is a sort of a widely considered to be a delinquent state. So I'm not sure whether Israel wants to place itself in that position or the decision to go in favour of South Africa. Might it not be, depending on its ally on the Security Council, the United States, to veto any such measures? Sure, of course. And uh, the United States might come under pressure not to veto any enforcement of such measures. So... Um 
it seems to me a lot of, uh, if you like, political theatre rather than that anything real might happen. You've got a Security Council, which was a, a, a creature of the foundation of the United States at a time when the world uh, was precariously balanced in a particular way. But it, it gives the major power blocks that power of veto, which means that really that nothing ever happens. Uh, well, I would I would disagree. Um, I think, uh, I mean, if you look at the, the UN Charter, I mean, we've agreed and our own country speaks about a sort of international rules-based order. We've agreed uh, in the UN Charter to move towards the Pacific settlement of disputes, that disputes are not settled through armed conflict, through alleged genocide, um, and that such issues do find their way into courtrooms. So I think what the World Court, what the International Court of Justice provides is a legal forum which to determine such uh, issues. I think that it had significance in relation to the former Yugoslavia. Of course, it takes time, I think, for these things to, to come through. But uh, following World War II, we had prosecutions in Nuremberg. We now have an international criminal court. And again, the idea that uh, it's not just politics, it's not just sort of international relations without international law. The international law is a framework which provides uh, a remedy. And yes, immediately, it doesn't always have an effect. But long term, I believe it does. And so uh, the Nuremberg trials, for example, we now, uh, it does, hasn't ended atrocity around the world, but we accept that atrocities cannot happen uh, with impunity. And in a similar way, I think what the ICJ, what the World Court might say about genocide, at this stage it's only saying whether South Africa's argument is plausible or not, but what I might say longer term in relation to genocide uh, in this or in the Gambia or in the Ukraine cases is of enormous significance and can have legal impacts in relation to relations between states, uh, how states treat other states, and other significant practical outcomes. Finally, how do you think these procedures uh, are going to be reacted to by Israel? I mean, will they uh, change anything? Netanyahu has said he's going to keep on going militarily until the conflict is finished. Uh, Their defence, as we heard, was that they are entitled to a self-defence reaction to the actions of Hamas. Uh, Are they likely to still some of the more extreme voices in Cabinet just to deflect away from this case? I, I, I think it will, will have an effect, I think, on, on, on speech within, within Israel. Um, it's difficult to say exactly what effect it will have on the ground. I do think, for example, the ICJ did an earlier advisory opinion on the wall, uh, ruling that the wall is illegal. Did that have an effect? No, in one sense, and that the wall is still there, but yes, in the sense that ruling that the wall is illegal. Um, and that, I think, contributes to an understanding that it is illegal for other states to recognise the illegal situation or render aid or assistance in its maintenance. Lastly, David, often in this jurisdiction we talk about a plethora of laws that are introduced without enforcement. And we mm-hmm. maintain on this programme and others that it brings the law into disrepute. If you're bringing a law in that nobody pays a blind bit of notice to, there's really mm-hmm. no point to that law. But generally it brings the law into disrepute. If this International Court of Justice is uh, a talking shop which makes pious uh, judgments and pious statements, but nothing is ever done, does it not bring the whole process into disrepute? Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think nothing is ever done, and I don't think you would call the ICJ a talking shop. I think that can be, you know, that can certainly apply to certain international bodies, but not not the International Court of Justice. I mean, in in the armed activities case, for example, involving Uganda, it, it issued uh, remedies. The uh, Uganda had to pay $350 million worth of compensation to its neighbouring states. And so uh, the ICJ does issue remedies. In general, there's a high level of compliance with ICJ judgments. So states go to the ICJ, 
they ask you to resolve, for example, border disputes uh, and uh, states listen and comply with the ICJ's judgments. So, in fact, ignoring the ICJ's judgments are rare. When it comes to more complex cases, some of them like this, like the Gambia, certainly it can affect compliance. Uh, we've seen Russia um, ignore its provisional measures in the Ukraine versus Russia case. Certainly when it goes into these broader issues of public international law, rather than, for example, border disputes, then issues of compliance can be challenging. But I think that's what the court should be doing. Uh, I think it should be issuing judgments in cases like this. And it is for First of all, the respondents, uh, if the judgment goes against them to follow, what is a legally binding decision? And if not, then compliance can also be something which can be monitored by other member states of the United Nations. Dr. David Keane, Assistant Professor in Law at Dublin City University. David, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Pat. A pleasure. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.